0: Well, welcome everyone to episode two of Sacrificial Succession. I'm Wes Leek by from Business Blessings. And Paul, great to have you back again for episode two. Oh, thanks, Wes. It's great to be here. So Paul, today we're going to start to get down into some of the nitty gritty about sacrificial succession, and today's topic is ready replacements, getting ready to replace us. Um, your the, your passage for this is Psalm forty five. Do you want to verse sixteen? Do you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah, but, it's a it's an interesting passage because. Um, it's a it's it's a prophecy, but it's also an ex- expectation. Your sons will replace your fathers, or in other versions, it says will succeed. Um, and it goes on to say in the following verse, which isn't mentioned there, you know that your 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 name, your inheritance, your legacy will be remembered uh, throughout the land. Um, and this particular verse was also a prophecy to my parents about my brother and and about me as well um so you know that's an extra special thing you know for us as a family but um it was a reminder to my parents because at that particular time i certainly wasn't heading in the direction they hoped i would be um but it was also in a sense that uh we would carry on the um the 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 vision and the mission and the passion that our that our parents had not necessarily in the sense like of a dynasty you know i'm not doing exactly the same thing that my dad did and neither is my brother but it was more the the idea of passing on if you like a spiritual mantle
0: which is key but like and even even apart from a spiritual mantle a practical mantle absolutely you know, to others, yeah. uh, uh, like a mantle in all aspects of that. Yeah,
1: and to me, the the key with that verse is uh, it, it's intentional. It's an ex, It's an expectation. It's not a question. It's an expectation that your sons or daughters, your successors, will succeed you. There's an expectation there. It's not a question. It's an expectation,
0: which actually comes back to the generational nature of God. Isn't he like he he talks about from generation to generation and then expectation that we will train up the next generation. We will release them. We will equip them and encourage them and train them. um, Yeah. You
1: know, I mean, Jesus said that as the father sent me, so I'm sending you there's three generations right there, you know, in that, in that practical sense of the word.
0: Yes. Yeah. That's right. That's so true. You know, one of the things uh, in preparing for this, uh, like I, I love this, you have some really good reality checks uh, in your book, and the first one is that all leaders will be replaced at some point by a successor, whether they like it or not. And
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> we actually don't like to think about that, though, do we? And and people don't have that in mind. They think that they can hold on to it for for and a day.
1: What we don't, but I mean, even if you just look at statistics, the reality is both in the nonprofit and for-profit sector, based on the research, people tend to stay, these are executives and top leaders, usually stay in a position for about 10 years. That's the average, Um, a lot uh, less than that in terms of time that they stay. So, you know, you've got a window of opportunity of about a decade on average. To do something about this, otherwise it will do something about it anyway. Yeah,
0: it, it, it's true. But with that, most leaders do actually want to leave a legacy uh, behind, but they're not actually being intentional about producing that legacy.
1: Well, I think I think there is an intention there, um, but certainly from my you know from my own um, experience. It never crossed my mind, to be perfectly honest, when I was running my businesses and I was in the business of training and mentoring and coaching people, Uh, you know, executive orientation uh, was what we called it back then um, for executives who were going into foreign countries and foreign markets, Uh, I think. You know, sometimes these days it's called executive coaching or, or, you know, things, uh, different terms for it. But broadly, that's the business I was in. And yet it never even crossed my mind uh, myself that I should be preparing, you know, others um, to be able to replace me, even if it was only potentially. Uh, So, yeah. It was only, for me, it was a wake-up call when we were faced with a crisis that we just, we couldn't wiggle around it. There was no wiggle room. And so we had to deal with that, you know, ready replacements? Nope. <laughs> Not at the moment. We have no ready replacements.
0: Yeah. And it is a huge mindset, shift Change. Like I was talking to a new client yesterday and raising it with her. You know, what are you doing about replacing yourself in the business to, to move on, even just to move on to growing the business, uh, which is, which is an issue. Like if, you know, if she's not going to leave, but she's going to stay there uh, and, and for, I know, at least 10, 20 years going forward, but to be able to grow the staff so she she can go and concentrate on other things was a key issue that came up. So we Yeah.
1: So it's not, it's not unusual, you know, Um, it's not, it's the norm. Rather than the exception that people just let things happen, and even in you know very sophisticated organizations, you know um, the 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 Harvard Business School talks about what they call a leadership pipeline, uh, with the assumption that you know potential leaders are coming through a pipeline. Um, well, I tell you what, if they are coming through a pipeline, in most cases there ain't no water flowing through the pipes, yes. um, because if you look at the statistics. Um, organizations are just not preparing people. Um, And in some cases, they don't even have a plan in place uh, to do so. They may have it written, you know, into their management system. um, But in terms of actually in practice and actually thinking
0: through it, uh, very few do. And that's what the research shows. Uh, Absolutely. Stanford says that, what is it, only 15% of organizations are grooming their successors. Yep. which is like fifteen percent. That's like, yep. I and it's you know people do get hit by the proverbial bus too, you know. <laughs> so,
1: well, you know, we often we do often think about it as something happening to someone, but the rea- the reality is, um, yes, of course that happens, but um, a lot of leaders don't stay as long as they should anyway so you've got situations i'm sure you can think of half a dozen immediately so can i where someone has not stayed long enough to be able to be involved in preparing anyone and so the organization's got to rush around trying to find someone usually from outside um, to be able to replace the person who's left because they've left long before they should have done. Usually, you know, because something better
0: comes along. Which is so Paul, let, let's unpack some of these problems because cause, cause this is one of the major problems is, and we actually don't often think about what happens when someone leaves too early. Often we're at the other end of the scale. Someone's hanging around too long and we're trying to get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we see this in in all sorts of organisations because, I mean, even to like you look at the employment situation today in Australia, it's very hard to find staff. So better, other organisations are out there offering better money, better conditions, and enticing people to jump ship. Uh, yeah, and I mean
1: the other factor that you need to deal with is if you look at some of the research that's, say been done by Forbes, is that. The, the vast majority of the younger generation, and I'm not blaming them necessarily, by the way, but they don't have a long-term commitment to organisations. Based on the Forbes research, most young uh, adults would tend to commit to only about two or three years before they may move on again. Uh, that doesn't suggest a great deal of continuity. Unless, of course, you're working really hard to prepare the next Generation of people. Otherwise, uh, your, your pool of potentials is going to be pretty slim.
0: I, I had a very interesting meeting with Tate Queensland on Friday where they were talking to me about the fact that they estimate that 40% of grade 12 students actually already have their own business and they're, they're not intending to actually go and be employed by anybody. And I thought that's a huge number. Um, So it could be that people are going into organisations intentionally, I'm only going to be there for two or three years because I want to go on and do what I want to do later on as well.
1: Which is, from one perspective, that's a great thing. But if they're going to go and do that, then we really need to instill these values into them. Because you know, I know when I was at that age, I never thought that anything could happen to me. Yes, but yes. as you just said earlier, when you were talking about a recent client, um, you know, they may want to be growing their business. It's not necessarily always a case of, "Well, I'm I'm finished. I'm done." Yes, it might be. I actually need to grow this thing, but I've got no one who I can actually uh, prepare, even let alone hand over to, so that I could have enough of
0: a foundation to grow some more. Okay. So, so the main issues in this is like leaders are saying too long. Leaders are not staying long enough. Um, and both cause instability really. Uh, absolutely. And, and continuity yeah, in the organization. absolutely.
1: And um, I mentioned a couple of examples uh, in, in the book there where I worked um, with a very large training organisation that was preparing. Uh, they were sending out hundreds of people, they're training them and sending them out. excellent organisation. But when I talked to the um, manager of the organisation and asked him if they had a succession plan in place, he said, you know what, we've thought about it because he said we're all getting old, me included. Um, but he said, whenever I bring it up with our leadership, the answer almost always is, well, um, we can't really think about it yet because, you know, uh, we don't want to replace you with someone that's got less experience. Um, Or another guy, he worked in a multi, very large multimedia organization. He'd actually prepared a successor um, and his organization broadly supported it. But the board of directors, they just they didn't want to risk uh, the potential for risk. And he had even said, you know what, I'll stay on. I'll stay on to help guide this person, but I think we need to get a ready replacement. And the answer in both of those organizations, large organizations with hundreds of employees, uh, was, well, we're just not willing to take the risk. Uh, well, guess what? In both cases, one guy became incapacitated uh, and the other guy left because he wanted to do something else. And he knew that unless he left, nothing was going to
0: change. So so this comes back to the boards or the governing bodies of organisations. So, Paul, you talked about the word risk, but to me, that's the word fear. They're afraid of, of what may happen if the leader leaves. And they do. I
1: mean, you know, to me, it's just an it's an unrealistic fear because it's not really a risk. It's a reality. It's going to happen. It's the, the question really is only when. And unfortunately, we can't predict that as humans because we're fallible. You know, I can walk out in front of a bus tomorrow, God forbid, but that these things happen you can become incapacitated. Thankfully, the leader I mentioned, you know, he got better again. He's gone back to leading the same organization with no changes, unfortunately. But to take the risk is really, in my view, minimizing the risk provided that you are well prepared and you know the people that you're dealing with.
0: So that actually stifles the organization though, doesn't it? Because like if, if you've been in a place for a long time, you're in a routine, you're going there, you're not necessarily open to new ideas or new ways of growing things. And actually, like I know one organization I was with, you know, they had an organization person in place for 27 years. We kind of were capped at 110 staff, you know, and then change of leadership happens and boom, they're now up to what, eight, 900 staff, you know, so it's kind of like you're, you're putting a lid on the organization.
1: You are. And I mean, the other thing that I think a lot of people fail to appreciate, and certainly I I did, even though I was a trainer and a coach is that we, we have valuable skills and life experience to pass on to the next generation. That's the legacy. And, you know, entrepreneurial people need to be passing on those skills and abilities to entrepreneurial people Um, they're the ones that should know (laughs) what an entrepreneurial person looks like, because that's what they're like. And yet we often expect people who are not that way inclined to train people who are that way inclined and become disappointed when that's not the product that comes out at the end of the pipeline. And yet if we were doing that ourselves, which of course, having, learn this and trying to do better in this area is something that now I've worked a lot harder on and much more intentionally. And so if for whatever reason I became incapacitated, I'm very uh, confident that there would be people who could easily take over from me and actually do a better job, I'm sure.
0: But it's also like if an an opportunity came to the organization to grow and develop it and you needed to move on from your position to another position, it's the same thing, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. Because you um, it means you're already, you know, you've got people to step up to take on your role so you can take on the new opportunities that come as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, you, you only have to look at the life of, say, Jesus as the best example of that. Um, his life was cut short in the natural scheme of things. You know, what leader hands over at 33 Um, you don't Uh, it wasn't his time in terms of natural thinking and yet he had taken the time to prepare lots and lots of successors who were able to take over for him you think of Paul the apostle Um, same thing he was imprisoned before if you like his natural time Um, and yet things were able to go on quite well without him, even though he continued to provide guidance because he'd already put in the effort to prepare people like Timothy and
0: Titus and others who could take over from him. Okay. So, so let's unpack Jesus a bit more because he is our example. And uh, I like this term that you use in your book that uh, he had a disciplic relationship with the others. So from your perspective, Paul, Paul, what do you? How can we replicate Jesus's uh, dis, uh, discipling relationships like he had with? Yeah, others?
1: I was actually talking about this with, uh, I think it was with my mum this morning earlier. Um, how common it is for um, organizations, churches, and businesses to put, you know, people that should be invested in really intentionally put them into programs a training program put them into a small group um, put them into an alpha course not knocking any of those things but what jesus did really well is that he spent time with those disciples one-on-one he modeled stuff for them so that they could see how someone in his position behaved at a meal time, talking to people on the street, calling someone to come down out of a tree like Zacchaeus. They could see how he related to those people. So for me, it's very much about being close. It's a relationship. You know, and there's a, there's a tradition, whether it's correct or not, uh, it may not be a Jewish tradition, but it's claimed to be, which it says, you know, for any disciple, may you be covered by the dust of your rabbi. Um, it's essentially about being close enough, or we also talked last time about true succession, the idea that predecessor directly, it's not an indirect, they directly influence That means spending time with people, means having lunch together. It means watching how each person behaves in, in a sense, non-professional situations as well as professional ones. How do they treat someone? How do they treat a cleaner, you know, when they're out of earshot of the boss or other people in the office? Um, How do they listen to someone, you know, who appears to be not quite so important. You know, do they roll their eyes or pretend like they're interested, but they're tapping their foot to try and get away from the situation? All these things are modelled. They're, they're caught rather than taught. And that's how, you know, that's how I learnt. Um, I learnt because there were men who got beside me and showed me how to do things and then stood back and watched how I did it. And I watched how they did it. And that's how I learned the best. And I think that's how that's really describes what a disciplic relationship is, you know, having the characteristics of being a
0: disciple and discipling someone. So Paul, that happens as a parent with a child because kids watch what you do and I don't know about you. Your kids, your kids are a bit older than mine, but but I get horrified sometimes about what my kids have done, and I realise they just copied me. And and I yeah <laughs> absolutely. <laughs>
1: you know the stuff that comes out of their mouth, and it's like, how dare you? And then it's like, oh, hang on a minute, uh, they're just mimicking what I've said. Maybe yeah. in a different way. Maybe I was a little more sophisticated in terms of how I said it or how I did it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they're just mimicking what I what I've said or done.
0: And and that's what applies in a workplace situation too, doesn't it? Because you see what you, your bosses does, and oftentimes it's a case of do what I say, not what I do, uh, because they tell you to do one thing, but then you watch them do something differently. It's kind of like the old adage that everyone knows that the boss is playing golf on Wednesday afternoons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> even though they... they yeah,
1: it, it, that's it does make us vulnerable. You know, one of my mentors, um, and, and he, he's, a, he's an older guy now uh, in his 80s who still mentors about 30-plus young men personally. Um, and what he always says is, if you're not willing to be vulnerable... Um, then you can't pass on a a legacy to someone else. And you really cannot invest in a person. Uh, You can invest in things, but you can't invest in people unless you're willing to be vulnerable so that they can see, um, you know, the imperfections.
0: So so how would you define vulnerability or what do you think it looks like?
1: Well, being vulnerable is is difficult. Yeah, you know, I've got to be honest and say, you know, if you were probably looking at a spectrum uh, for me, that's one of the areas that I would struggle with the most. So I'm certainly not speaking from a you know from a, here's an expert in vulnerability. Um, but to me, being vulnerable is about being honest about how things are right now. Yes, you know. Um, and when we, you know, when we talk about sacrificial succession, um, I guess that is a product of me being vulnerable and saying to God and saying to others, you know what, with the crisis that we're facing right now in that particular case, East Timor, and later on other places like Myanmar and Indonesia, I don't have an answer for this. I don't. Um, All my years of study and expertise and project management abilities, there's no answer for this until, you know, I realized that the only way that we could change the situation that we were in was that we were able to prepare local men and women to take over from us. Now that sounds like a really simple solution never crossed our mind, I mean, sure, we trained people. We were training people all the time, but we weren't preparing successes. We weren't preparing somebody to fill our shoes uh, if uh, that possibility came up, which in our case was a probability. It wasn't like it wasn't going to happen. It absolutely happened. <laughs> you know, So to, that's being vulnerable to say, you know what, um, I may not last as long as I think I will. And I'm going to do something about it. That's being vulnerable versus, oh, well, you know, we'll see how it goes or she'll be right, mate. Because um, that's not usually how life works out.
0: <laughs> no, that's right. So it's part of that vulnerability. And, and you were like honest with your staff in saying, we have this issue. We think this is what God is saying to us. We're going to walk it out. But we're inviting you to come on that journey with us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, I'm very thankful that when I shared this vision, because at the time it was only a vision, I didn't have all the processes or principles in in place with my leadership. They supported me and they said, well, um, go for it. Uh, Let's see what you can do. But certainly for the people, in country, because I mean, ultimately, they're the <laughs> they're they're the lab rats, for want of a better term. Um, for them, they were very uncomfortable. And, and as one guy said to me, he said, "You know, um, I come from a culture defined by competition, um, and it's the best man, usually man, who wins." Um, he said, "This is a complete paradigm shift." to be preparing people to take over from me and actually willingly hand over. Um, and I think I mentioned it in the book. When I was working with uh, the, the people from this culture, I got a mentor because I didn't know this, this particular culture well. It's a culture from um, Latin America. So one of my mentors, had been, he'd worked amongst these people for 50 years. And when I mentioned to him succession, his exact words were, well, let me tell you something, brother. He said, I've worked for 50 years in that culture and succession or transition in their culture, he said, is the leader, um, either the organization splits or the leader leaves in a pine box. You know, he dies. Uh, He said, that's it. There's no other way that they deal with it. So that was how difficult it was at the outset to try and convince people who'd never done anything any other way. Um, And then with potential successors who'd just been through a conflict where a quarter of their nation's population were killed, trying to convince them that this was a good thing, um, when all they dealt with were, you know, Hard military people, colonisers before that, or their own tribal culture, um, and none of the those practiced anything like what we were talking about. Um, there wasn't a great deal of confidence in me. I can assure you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, and Paul, as we walk work, work through this podcast series, we're going to be unpacking that, aren't we, as we go? Yeah. <laughs> So there's two questions that you posed in the first uh, devotional from your book. The first will be last, your daily devotional. You said one, how are you getting ready to be replaced? That's, that's a key question to ask yourself.
1: Yeah. And that's why when I was thinking, you know, through titles and, you know, ready replacements could be a question. It could be a statement. I mean, it's intent. It's intentional because those two words tend to sort of juxtapose each other. They don't really in a sense work together um, or they don't work together very well. And that was intentional because when I was asking myself and asking my team that question, the reality was, as I shared in the book, when we were faced with the crisis of having our foreign workers sent home, we had only two potential people, local people, out of a team at that point around about 50 plus people. We're not talking about two people that had been trained and were ready. We're talking about two people who were potentials and pretty poor potentials, to be honest, at that particular point in time. So we did not have a pool of anyone. And so when asking that question to myself, the answer was no. I haven't prepared. Yeah, yeah, we had procedures in place. We'd written up a few things. Um, but for all intents and purposes, we had no succession plan whatsoever in place. So no, we had no ready replacements and we weren't preparing any and we'd not really thought about it. Even though we did have written into you know, our um, strategic operations, we, we had some sort of agreement that, need, that it needed to be done, but no process to actually go about doing it. Yeah.
0: And, and that leads to the second question, who are the successes you have in mind? So, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, that's right. So these are really practical questions because, you know, oh, yeah, well, we've got it written in our in our strategic you know, plan or something like that. Although, interestingly, if you look at some of the research from the CMA, Christian Management Australia, uh, they've done research and found that virtually no Christian organizations, and I'm not just talking churches, have any succession plan in place whatsoever. Can you believe it? Um, <laughs> yes. <I can>. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Hence why we're doing yeah, this. Podcast here. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> when I asked myself that question, you know, I had to be honest and asked it of my team to, to be honest. They said, no, no, we've not thought about it we're not prepared and we're not making any plans
0: so this is one of the things is actually when we raise this with people it's like okay you know you start to think about it and start to process it you go to God and say God okay who do you have in mind because God is a generational God he has people in mind and but it and it's kind of like then we start to put our radar up and you know often God may say, actually, this is the one that I want you. Yeah,
1: and it's interesting if you look at, we, you know, we were talking about the life of Jesus before. It says that he went up to the mountain mm-hmm. before he went to the seaside to choose what would have to be said are possibly the most unlikely successes you could possibly <laughs> think of. Yes. Um, so he didn't do things on his own and neither should we. We need to consult. And we need to pray, and we need to have clarity, and that's why we need. That's why that second question is: Who are you considering? It's not just uh, you know. It's not just tick a list of people. In part of that preparing is to, it's actually looking and having time to see someone. Like I said before, how do they treat you know the dog <laughs> lying at the door when they've had a bad day? How do they respond to their partner when they've had a bad day? Um, Those are the things that we need to be considering when we are thinking about someone who could potentially replace us and also about ourselves. How do I respond? You know, am I short with my spouse after a bad day? But if someone from the office or someone from the church calls, you know, I'm on the line straight away. Oh yes. I've got, I've always got time for you, brother or sister. Of course you have, just not for anyone else in the family. Yeah. You know, the, this is what modeling is all about. And so it's spending time with people. And so our team in uh, East Timor, when they really got stuck into this, that's, you know, we, we were spending time with people working shoulder to shoulder, seeing how they responded in situations like this so that we could, um, you know, we could choose someone um, over time who was actually ready to 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 replace us. And, you know, these were people who were not well qualified, weren't well trained. They were traumatized, but of the 50 plus successes that we trained in, in any East, East Timor, I can only think of one or two who have failed for a variety of reasons. And everyone told us they'd all fail. Wouldn't mm. work.
0: And hey, not all 12 of Jesus was succeeded. No, it's,
1: <laughs> and that's, you know, we, we need to remember that, that, um, you'd have to say it's not a particularly good average, you know, two out of 12, um, but I think a lot of times we are a little bit arrogant if we assume that, well, we're better judges of character. Um, uh, no, not at all. We've got to expect that, but that shouldn't stop us from uh, being prepared and really considering, Oh, who is someone who, who's a couple of people that I can consider right now. And so for me, That's how I look at it. And, you know, we have this discussion a lot in our organization. You know, we're a multinational organization. This is CV, Christian Vision. Uh, We work in really difficult places with difficult people because of their background. You know, they they haven't got all of the benefits that we've had in our society. And so we often say, you know, we work with what you've got. You don't work with who you'd like to have. You work with who you've got and you invest into them and spend time with them.
0: Well, and I think that's a great place to finish today, Paul. We're starting to unpack this. There's a lot to unpack, but thank you. And uh, episode two done. The questions to ask yourself, how are you getting ready to be replaced and who are the successes you have in mind? And uh, our next episode will be on the last first. So I look forward to Uh joining you with that next week as well.
1: Thank you, Wes.